all have different ways of handling our stuff. And so many times I try to let people know, don't worry, the person you're trying to hide your stuff from got just as much stuff as you do. So it's okay. Um, and really let, helping them know that. Um, because we all have our things and it's just figuring out how do we be our best self despite that. Um, and be the best version of ourselves. And part of it is to be able to speak up and seek help, um, seek support in order to do that. Often, people go through life-changing experiences without any guidance. But what if you had the tools available to help you in your journey? I welcome you to the Misguided Notions podcast. Our mission is to create a space where we discuss thought-provoking topics with people that go through real-life experiences. My goal is to inspire, empower, and help build awareness to a number of issues that our society doesn't really talk about. So listen in, engage in conversation, and if you'd like, share your story. Welcome to the Misguided Notions podcast. If you're new here, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. Episodes drop every Thursday, and we are available wherever you listen to podcasts. A couple of months ago, I had the opportunity to have an in-depth conversation with Natalie Ellis, who is a licensed professional counselor in Georgia. She has her own private practice, Esteem Counseling Services. She is a mentor. She is a great friend. She is an educator. She hosts these workshops for mental health professionals as well as trainings. I admire her so much, especially because she utilizes her skills and shares it on social media to help people break out of this idea that they're not able to talk about many issues that people go through, such as anxiety, depression, trauma, PTSD, and so much more. Natalie has such a unique way of utilizing social media to educate and empower others. And it's almost as if she offers this, and it's not even almost, she does. She offers a space where people can feel comfortable to ask questions that they may not really want to about mental illness. So I thought who better than to have her on and talk about many of the different stigmas associated with mental illness. We have even more dialogue about the importance of having conversations with others and how do we go about discussing sensitive topics with regard to mental illness. When we recorded this, it had been a couple months ago and during that time, We were made aware of the different celebrities that unfortunately had committed suicide, including Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, and some others. And we also did touch on that. We really got into the concept of self-awareness and how that plays a role in therapy. And also we go into tips and advice on ways of finding a therapist. We also address the fact that health insurance is not a benefit that everyone has access to. So a lot of times for some, that might be a barrier for them accessing mental health. So Natalie did offer some great 
information and insight into finding low cost or sliding scale therapists. We also get into the use of technology and how that plays a role in therapy because nowadays there are these apps like Talkspace, Teladoc, where you can get access to therapists, which I don't really know anyone that have used these particular platforms for therapy. I'm still a little skeptical about it, and I think you'll sense that in the interview when Natalie and I um, address it. So I'm curious, anyone, any listeners out there, if you yourself have utilized Headspace or Teladoc or any other or any of these other telehealth style of mental health therapists, let me know. You can be anonymous. You don't have to share your name. You could totally be anonymous. That is not an issue. But I would love to hear from you because I'm very curious for my own knowledge if it was something that was positive in your experience or negative. I'd love to get some feedback on that. So feel free to DM me on Instagram at Misguided Notions, or you can also hit me up on Twitter. That's totally fine. Whichever is comfortable for you. And I would also like to take this moment to just say that if you yourself or if you know of anyone who may be contemplating suicide, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is a great resource They are 24-7. It's completely confidential. They're even available by text. I will definitely leave all of that information in the show notes. If you ever are in a position where you're struggling for whatever reason, please don't hesitate to speak to someone. There are resources out there that are available to you. In New York State, we have LifeNet, which is a great referral source where they can give you some resources and information on how to go about getting some sort of mental health related help and assistance. So please don't hesitate to reach out and really explore any option that may be available to you. Even talking to friends, you'd be surprised how invaluable that can be. There's a lot of shame and stigmas as we talk about throughout the episode you'll hear with regard to mental illness but really just I hope that people are finding that there's more of this open dialogue because I don't know if it's because of who I follow on Instagram or what have you but I'm finding that more and more and that brings me comfort and knowing that we are moving towards this new new wave of people being more open to talking about these issues so please explore the resources if you need it they're available to you don't hesitate i really hope you enjoy this episode we're here with natalie thank you so much natalie for being here for being a guest on the podcast Thank you so much, Santine, for inviting me. This is exciting. <laughs> Happy to be here. So, Natalie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, well, I'm Natalie Ellis. I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, I'm licensed in the state of Georgia. Um, I got my license or I got my master's back in 2000. 
at a school called Argosy University here in Atlanta. Um, I've been licensed since 2001, so I've been providing therapy to um, individuals, families, couples um, since 2001, almost um, 18 years ago at this point. Um, so I've been working in community mental health for the majority of my career, um, where I work with individuals mm -hmm. in the foster care system, the juvenile justice system, children, adolescents, as well as their families mm -hmm. in these systems. Um, so with that, I've worked a lot with um, individuals and, and families with um, significant traumas, abuse, um, neglect, abandonment. Um, and um, I've started my practice about um, six years ago in 2012 is when I started to practice. And with that, I've worked a lot more with, um, with couples, um, and adults in um, a wide range of uh, diagnoses um, and mental health um, issues such as depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and out of my practice, not only do I see clients, um, but I also provide um, clinical supervision for other professionals coming into the field, I do clinical supervision as well as I provide um, trainings mm -hmm. for other professionals as well as um, the community in terms of mental health trainings, as well as mental health um, workshops. So I do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. my, um, my mission and my is to um, definitely empower the community. So my business is Esteem Counseling and Consulting Services. And Esteem stands for Empower Self Through Enrichment, Education, and Motivation. So I'm all about empowering others um, by educating them and enriching them and motivating them. That's great. And it's, it definitely sounds like you not only work with clients that are in need, but also people like myself, like a, like professionals. <laughs> yes. That's I work a lot with professionals um, providing supervision. Because in this field, we have to um, obviously be licensed in order to, to do the work, but also um, get ongoing supervision, especially when we first get started into the field, um, get supervision. Um, in terms of how to navigate the system and how to navigate, um, you know, the, the the clinical piece of this work because it's 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 hard work. Um, people have a lot of things going on, and it's important that we're we're ready to deal with um, the issues and things that people have. And people um, are looking for professionals that are able to provide them with the help and support that they need. So this is something that we have to take very seriously and make sure people are are trained and, um, and effective. And with your age range of clients that you work with, what's the youngest, I guess the age range, what are the age range? Yeah. So I've seen clients as young as three years old, mm -hmm. um, to as old as 70. So mm -hmm. I have a seven year old client and I have a, a, a child as young as three. And okay. so within my practice, not only do I do processing, um, where I do talk therapy, where we process things, but I also do in, um, play therapy, I do art therapy, um, mm -hmm. mindfulness, where we do meditation, um, I do yoga with some of my clients, um, um, lots of movement, um, as well as the talking, body awareness, and so um, because of the wide range of clients that I have, you got to be able to cater to, or at least I need to be able to cater to my audience and, and, and the client. So 
I'm on the floor a lot of the times. I'm playing, playing games, doing activities um, with with my younger clients, and then with a lot of my older clients, um, I'm doing a lot of workbook activities, worksheets, homework assignments. So, yeah, it's definitely a wide range of things that you do. <laughs> yeah, de- yes, definitely. And you know, people will say, "Well, three-year-olds. Well, you know, what does a three-year-old need therapy for?" Well, three-year-olds experience trauma too. So even though they may not always have the language and the words to express it, but it comes out in their behavior. Um, again, I work a lot with kids in the foster care system. So when kids are removed from their home and um, that happens at any age, these kids do experience their own trauma with that. So, um, yep, as young as three, I'm, I'm, we're working with them, helping them recognize their 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 That's body, incredible. their emotions through through play, through art, through through body stuff mm-hmm. um so yeah it's, it's it's definitely never too early to begin the talk about mental health mental health awareness um and self-awareness so absolutely we could do absolutely. it even with the three-year-olds and in my experience because i'm more of a medical social worker so i always tend to refer people out that need mental health services and i happen to deal with a huge minority population and I'm always finding that there's such shame and embarrassment and even denial across the board, whether it's their loved ones even or they themselves. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And it's just how do you get people to be more open to talking about some of these things? That's a challenge that I find that we have as in a number of different communities. Yes. You know, the best segue for me is to talk about the physical mm-hmm. health. And so I start there because everybody understands that. We in the in the minority community, we get that. We get headaches, stomach aches, stroke, diabetes, hypertension, cancer. We understand those things. And so I start there. Um, and then I start to provide the education as to how mental health impacts physical health and so when I start with the connection of the physical health how you know what a lot of this stuff that we're dealing with physically can be avoided can be lessened by how we take care of our mental health and so then people are listening at this point because they get they they get that they're physically in pain or that they physically get stuff going on and so well if we could start managing our mental health we could also start managing these physical health symptoms as well and so people listen in that way yeah, so I so I go into that. I get I it's it's meeting clients where they're at, right? Um, and the other thing too, I talk with clients about um, when we talk about mental health. I try not to make it be this this um, um, this extreme. These people who hear voices over there, whereas whereas there's um, there's obviously um, severities when we talk about mental health in terms of levels of mental health as well. But I try to be very basic with people. And so an example that I give, I tell people our bodies is kind of like a trash can. And so as we experience things, we're putting all these things into our bodies, like the, you know, um, like a trash can, Mm. you know, and we, and many times when we experience things, whether it's hurts, disappointments, whatever it may be, um, good trash, sometimes excitement, whatever's going on, we put all this in our bodies, but very rarely do we ever take out that trash. Do we do we do any, any kind of cleansing? And so 
as we experience all this, it kind of um, builds up inside of us. The trash gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And after a while, it starts to overflow. So people get that. And people understand that analogy. And they're like, yeah, it starts to overflow. Well, when it starts to overflow, now it's impacting. It's impacting um, how, we, how we handle things. And so many times people are coming to see me because they just can't handle things anymore. Well, the stuff I used to be able to handle, I can't seem to manage it anymore. And then I have to give them this example. Well, your cup is full. The trash is full. Right? So even the smallest thing at this point, you can't put it in there anymore. You can't put in there anymore. Well, people get that. Well, well, with that, too, is if we continue to keep putting things in that trash, guess what? We're going to get buried in it. <laughs> and now we got a bigger problem. And then that's how the mental health becomes a, a, a big issue. And so people kind of get that. Um, and so I try to kind of put it in, in, in terminologies that people understand and then help them see, well, when we don't address this, how it could just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And here we are now having a bigger issue. And do you use do you use the same correlation with their families? Like if you're doing a family therapy session, do you also bring that to them in that same way to kind of have this open conversation about some of these things that the individual may be going through? Oh, yes. Yes. Because again, the thing about a family, a family is a unit, but within this unit, as I was reading something, so let's take a family as a tree, right? So the root, the root is the family, but then within, within the, in the root, there's all these branches that's coming up. Well, each individual person is an individual, right? And so, yeah, I bring all this up because again, when each individual person is dealing with their own stuff, that impacts the interaction within the family. Um, and so, yeah, that is something that I also bring up in terms of um, that conversation also within the family and helping people um, get that. The family dynamic is really interesting, especially when it comes to kids, because, again, you have to, um, there's a lot of people who believe kids should be, um, should be seen and not heard. There's a lot of myths about um, parenting. There's a lot of um, um, values that, in terms of kids, how kids should be, and so... When, when I talk to families about stuff or mental health, a lot of these things have to happen because people do have to change how, they, how they're parenting sometimes, especially when you have a child who is exhibiting um, um, some behavioral concerns or some mental health concerns. And you can't just say because they're just bad. But it's much more than that. You know? And then if we want things to be different and want things to improve, well, we have to look at the whole dynamic. Uh, many times kids are the identified person or there's or whomever there's usually an identified client um, and they tend to be the scapegoat however everybody contributes to that individual's behavior um, so yeah so we do have to talk about all those things even within the family uh, family and structure. what do you think is the root cause of a lot of the stigmas that are associated with mental illness um Part of us as humans, it's about connection. We all want to be connected to others. And part of that connection is feeling accepted, wanting to feel accepted, a feeling of belonging. And so many times when we see ourselves as different or when someone may see us as different, that that could itself create a, um, a feeling mm -hmm. of um, disconnect. 
And I think the stigma that, that, that comes to play is, um, well, this is something that's different and nobody wants to feel different. And with that, that itself creates, creates, creates a stigma because again, with that difference, um, I don't know how people will treat me. Um, I don't know how people will see me. Uh, what will they think of me? And so all these questions that come up. And so, so then here we have stigmas. But the other thing that happens with stigma um, is shame. So we can't, so when you talked to, you brought up shame, embarrassment, um, things of those words. And so the more we feel shamed, and there's a social worker named Brene Brown, she talks a lot about shame and did a lot of research on shame. Shame gets bigger the more we keep silent, right? So shame feeds off of silence. And then stigma will feed off that shame. Um, and so, you know, the more that um, people keep silent about whatever's going on with them because, because of the shame that they felt or the shame that they, they think other people will give them, um, then it makes the stigma get bigger and bigger. And the only way to challenge a stigma is to provide education. Absolutely. And the way to do education is to talk about it. And what yeah. do you think is a good way for someone who doesn't have access to a therapist for whatever reason, maybe they're just exploring it as a possible option, but before they get to that point, they might be having these feelings and they may want to tell a loved one or even a friend or someone that they trust about some of these feelings that they are going through, how do you suggest they start that conversation? You know, it's, it's definitely um, great that they're even willing to talk about it with a friend. Um, I think that's a great place to start. Social relationships, relationships in general are very, very important and people take that for granted at times. But it's important that we have friendships. It's important that we have people that we could turn to and talk to, um, because that allows us to to release some of that trash. You know, getting it out of our system. Um, many times, again, things get bigger is because we're holding on to it. Um, and so, again, when we start talking about the things that that we're experiencing to other people, you know, the great thing about that is, you know, somebody else might say, well, it sounds like this could be this, or it sounds like you may need to, you know, look into this concern. And so, because we don't have, as individuals, we don't have all the answers. And so when when we're feeling things or when we're experiencing things, things and, and we're unsure of what it all means, it's important to um, seek help, seek support by talking to others. And, um, and hopefully they'll guide us in, in the directions we need to go. Um, so definitely um, sharing and um, and um, not silencing your voice you know I get a lot of clients who tends to silence their voice because they don't want to be a burden to others you know or um, because they're, they're, they're the identified strong person you know I'm the strong one why am I going through all this right now I, who am I gonna tell you know so a lot of people um, you know, have there's a lot of expectations put on a lot of individuals, and that's a lot of the reasons why they sometimes keep keep silent and feel as if they can't express themselves with others because, you know, I'm the strong one. What are they gonna think? What are they gonna say? Um, so, but definitely that first conversation and, is the first step. And I've heard that as as um, 
you know, growing up and even in, in my field, you know, now it's a constant thing like, oh, you're not strong enough or you're just not able to handle this. Like you should pray about it or, you know, like there's just this need to just brush it off. And it's like, how do we change the conversation and have people engage and feel open to talk about some of these things? You know, and that's a big challenge that I, I find that there's still just such this negative thing when it comes to mental illness. And I, I want people to talk about it. Like we all do as, as professionals and beyond, you know. A lot of it is being the role model. And so... Again, we in order to 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 change anything, the change starts with ourselves. And so, when I talk to clients or when I talk to individuals about mental health, I have to start talk started with myself in terms of well, I've mm -hmm. experienced this and this is how I've dealt with it. I've experienced this feeling and this is how I've dealt with it. Um, so, I think being vulnerable starts with with the individual and I think the more we do that it allows for other people to hopefully do the same too um, so we have to start that conversation by right. kind of um, talking about our own experiences but not only that um, again I think when people think of mental health they yeah, think of the extremes the schizophrenias the, um, the, the severe behaviors and yes there is that too but then helping people kind of see how before it gets to that point, there's a lot of other um, factors that take place in helping people kind of see that. Because, you know, the other thing too, despite people not wanting to talk about mental health, everybody understands, well, not everybody understands, but a lot of people have experienced adverse um, experiences or situations, such as um, abuse or such as um, abandonment or neglect or some type of trauma, some type of um, maybe involving a fire, maybe. Some people have gone to war, a lot of people right. in the military. So people have experienced things that made them feel uncomfortable, right? And so it could simply be by, make, by talking about that, have you ever felt uncomfortable um, to the point where the discomfort um, made you feel sad? Well, when that continues to happen, when that sadness is, continues to happen, well, that could lead to, if, we don't, if it's not addressed, it could lead to something bigger, clinical depression, you know? Um, have you experienced um, some type of anxiety and being really nervous about something? Um, and then noticing, well, you try to avoid those situations I create that. Well, that could lead to uh, social anxiety as a result of that. Um, and so really kind of helping people see how mental health is a part of our everyday life. Being um, mentally healthy is, is, is in everything that we do. And if we make, um, and the decisions that we make and helping them kind of see that when we make these type of decisions, mm -hmm. how it could lead to one direction and if we make versus another decision. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's, it's in the everyday process and um, in, in the everyday conversations to help people see that because again, sure. not everybody hears voices. So, so you can't bring it in terms of hear, the hearing voices and, um, but everybody understands how it feels to be sad. How every, people have experienced losses. You know, when you've experienced this loss and you, you, you just want to isolate and don't want to be around people. Well, yeah, when that continues, that could become a bigger thing. So, people, people, so helping people see it from that end, mm -hmm. being able to see themselves. Um, and so that's what I try to do with my clients when I do workshops, when I do different things, really trying to um, 
speak to the lay person and help them see how it doesn't take much to potentially become um, um, this clinically depressed person. You know, if we've had enough incidences in our lives that may have occurred and we're not getting the proper help, we're not getting the, we're not sleeping, we're not eating healthy, we're not taking care of ourselves, how it could um, get worse and worse throughout time. And right. here we are now with, with clinical depression. It's um, like we're ignoring these signs and, so and symptoms. Really helping people kind of see that. And, and, and like that some of those things. Signs. Yeah, and mm -hmm. recognizing the signs, you know, of how um, in the long term, you know, um, a lot of these people, like, you know, for example, in the last yes. few few weeks, we've been mm -hmm. hearing a lot about individuals committing suicide. And these are not young people's. So, it, you know, it's sad when we hear that it's young people, but at the same time, these are individuals who's, who's been accomplished in their lives, yet um, things have happened. Because, again, life is life, fulls, full of ups and downs. And when the downs occur, how do we manage it? You know, um, what are some of our coping mechanisms? Um, how do we see the world? How do we see ourselves? And so... A lot of my work with clients is that self-awareness um, in regards to their thinking patterns, their behavioral patterns, um, their emotional patterns, um, and how does and that impact? How would you suggest is a good way to find a good quality therapist? Because another issue that I've run across often, I'll have a client that have tried therapy and then they'll say, well, I had this therapist and I really didn't get much out of it. And, you know, they really weren't helpful. So how would you suggest is a good way to find a good therapist? Definitely ask questions. And so, you know, when you come meet the therapist for the first time, or even as you're um, looking for them um, through their webs through the website or on the phone if there's any questions please ask the questions it's okay to have standards it's okay to ask questions I encourage it um, especially for me many times when people are finding me they go on my website they read information about me they talk to me and you know um, you know so they so they ask questions mm -hmm. which which is great because again the therapy and the client relationship the therapist and client relationship becomes um, um, becomes a very personal and intimate relationship yet there's boundaries in it but as a client you're coming in and, and being your most vulnerable self you're sharing and, ex and, and talking about things that's, that's, that's you've experienced and things that you feel that you may not have shared with anyone and so you do want to make sure that the person you're divulging this information to is someone you feel comfortable with so it's okay to ask questions it's okay to research um you know, some people sometimes want to do consultation first, want to see how things go, and then they would say, "You know what? This was a, this was great. Let's go ahead and continue, or, <laughs> or not, and it's okay." So definitely doing research and. So um, it's not weird to ask for a consultation. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not weird to ask for a consultation at all, because you're trying to hire someone that you could um, potentially. Uh, tell your life story to so you want to make sure the person you're hiring to tell your life story to is somebody that can be trusted with your life right. <laughs> you know so it's definitely okay to ask questions um you know so it's not weird to ask for a consultation well um <laughs> okay i wouldn't say you know it's it's going to be up to the the, the therapist um 
in terms of how comfortable they are. Um, but no, if people want to ask, um, you know, I'm very, part of my therapeutic style is I'm very um, open about certain things. Obviously the things that I've done my own work in, because again, as I'm connecting with clients, I want to, in terms of the humanity, I want to make sure that they understand that I understand and I've experienced some of the things that they've gone through as well. Um, and so part of my role as a therapist is to also be a model. And so when I talk about we need to make sure we're eating healthy, we need to make sure we're doing this, I'm also giving examples of how I've done these things in my life and how I continue to do these things in my life. And so um, I do have clients who says, well, how, how have you handled a situation like this? Um, and if I've handled it, and if I've gone through it, I would let them know that. Um, I share a lot about other clients' experience too, because there's obviously a lot of things I don't experience, and I would bring up, you know what, I had a client who who had the similar type of experience, and this is how she kind of dealt with it. Um, so, yeah, definitely feel free to, um, you know, ask questions, and of course the, the therapist will be the one to kind of um, set the parameters. Okay. And... Lately, I've been noticing, so I don't know if they have that in Georgia, but there's this entity called Teladoc, and it's basically where you can speak with any kind of doctor, like a, maybe like a general practitioner, as well as a mental health therapist, to talk with them, I guess like some sort of conference, like a video conference versus versus like an actual session. How do you feel about that? And do you do that in your practice too? So you're talking about when people do like, and I've heard with doctors, doctors are doing a lot of that where they do a lot of teleconference, tele through the TV and to the phone. And um, um, so I do, I do do telemental health, right? And so, but the way that I do do telemental health is obviously these are clients that I'm already familiar with. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, do telemental health with a client that I don't, I've never met. So I would have met you, you would have been here a few times, but however, you know what, I'm going away to college. I have a few, I went away to college, but they still want to meet. And so gotcha. we do telemental health. You know, I, we do it through, um, through my system and then I, on my computer, I see them on their face. So we do that, um, <laughs> you know, so, and I've done, I have a client who's, she works at a, she's a high executive at a, at a, her job. And so her schedule is really, really hectic and she's a single mom. And so it's during her lunch break. She's, she's, um, she goes sit in her car to have her sessions. Mm -hmm. And so we do sessions by phone and she does very well. She's very engaging by phone. And so I would, I would kind of see that too, because I don't do the phones very well, because it's easy to get distracted. However, when I have a client that's very, you know, this is what the topic is, this is what we're going to talk about, then, um, then we're able to stay on track. Um, but not everybody we right. could do phone sessions with. So um, the few clients that I've done those type of things with are clients that we've already built a relationship face to face. Mm. That makes sense. And now, but um, yeah, it would be very hard for me to to do a session with a client that I've, that I've never met. Um, yeah, I feel like this is a new thing now. Right, because there's that um, talk, th there's, is it called talk therapy or um, um, talk space? Oh, yes, 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 something like that. Mm -hmm. There's that, and then there's another one called Better Health. Um, yeah, and so I'm not sure how those things, because there's, um, 
um, restrictions in regards to licensing because I'm licensed in the state of Georgia. Me being licensed in the state of Georgia, meaning I can't do therapy with somebody in the state of in the state of Mississippi. You know, that's so a good point. so there's another there's so I'm not sure. So I think those are things that's gonna come out with that because you can't just do therapy with just anybody. That's true. Right. So one of the things I've had one of my interns do is um, kind of research um, what states have. Um, what are some parameters within states? Like, for example, in the state of, in me being licensed in the state of Georgia, I can see someone in the state of Florida who lives in the state of Florida, but he can't be more than, um, more than, um, I think, 10 times in a year, in a given year. It can't be more than 10 times. And so, with that being said, I could only see that person maybe once a month. Right, and so certain states have those type of things, but most states require you to also be licensed in their state. So, uh, so with George, with Florida, I don't have to be licensed in Florida, but I, so I could see someone in their state. However, it can't be no more than ten times in the calendar year. Um, well, I definitely welcome any listeners that have had any experiences with these talk space and things to let us know. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll let you know, Natalie. Yeah, I'm curious yeah, about I'll that too. Let you know. Yeah, because the way that some of that works is not only so they pay a certain amount per month, and they get all the therapy that they want. And sometimes it's going to be with the same therapist. It could be texting. It could be through text. There's just so many things that I, you know, um, HIPAA stuff, and then yeah. um, ethical stuff, and then safety stuff. So, so it'll be interesting to see how it all plays itself out. When you've never met the person, you may not necessarily, none of the information that you have is yours, is yours, um, because you're, you're working through a, a company, so I'm not really sure how, yeah, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. And I want to talk about a concept, particularly uh, cultural competency, and in my practice in healthcare, I've always been reminded of cultural competency and I'm even having to educate other disciplines with it with people that I work with about it and just understanding certain things with related to different backgrounds and cultures and treating them so how would you use cultural competency in your practice yeah so cultural competency even though the majority of my I'm an app I am a black woman, so I'm originally from Haiti, right? So just because we all have the same skin tone, culturally we could have different cultural backgrounds, right? So, and not only that, each family has its own culture. So then you, so then you have that on top of that. So culture plays a part in a lot of things because again, um, me being a black woman, society treats me a certain way versus if I'm a black man. And so with that, that could impact my mental health as well, right? And so with all my clients, to some extent we do bring up, we do bring up um, culture, we do bring up race. How has that impacted you? How does that, how do you see yourself? When we talk about self-esteem, a lot of things with self-esteem is impacted in culture. You know, there's a lot of things that's, that's impacted in societal expectations and and, and cultural expectations and so and those things impact our mental health and so um, yeah at times 
we have to bring it up. If not most of the time, we have to bring it up. And then what's the correlation in terms of how does this then influence or impact you um, and your mental health and your self-awareness and, and your self-esteem? Um, so yes, cultural competence. Um, you know, uh, me dealing with um, a black man, black adolescents, boys, yes, race, cultural stuff has to be um, cultural awareness to helping them understand cultural awareness, societal expectations. Those things we do bring these things up. Um, so, yeah, really, you know, religion plays a big part. You know, it's amazing too, again, how religion plays a big factor in regards to self-esteem, in regards to mental health, in regards to behavioral health, thinking patterns. Um, if, you know, I have, I had one client, she grew up Methodist, you know, and so being Methodist, a lot of how she was, was not um, aligned with the, her Methodist values or her, her Methodist family. So growing up, a lot of things that she did was viewed as um, not okay. And so she's never felt good enough. And a lot of that was related to her religion. And so religion brings her a lot of anxiety you know, um, because a lot of how she sees things is in conflict with how the Bible sees it or how the Methodist um, religion sees it. And so, so then it's a constant, well, what's wrong with me? And then for someone like that, if they're, they might be ex expressing some of these things to a loved one and then they'll say, oh, well, let's talk to the pastor about this. Like, how could she talk to the pastor if a lot of what their views in the Methodist religion and what she views in her own feelings and thoughts don't correlate? That's got to be really tough for someone. Oh, yes. And it was very tough. So, of course, her, her the outcome for her was to, you know, shun away from religion altogether, you know, because it creates that. It creates that either, you know, the avoidance of it altogether. Um, but you're absolutely right. When, when you have a, in terms of the cultural aspect or the religious aspect of the culture, where it is you don't do this, or else you will go to hell, or you're a sinner, and you're finding yourself doing this. Yeah, that could constantly put you in a situation of, um, you know, of constant turmoil. <laughs> you know, am I going to hell? Am I going to hell? And that was a lot of her. Growing up, that was a lot of her thinking about herself. Well, I did this. Am I going to hell? And I know we touched about this a little bit earlier, but I want to go a little bit deeper. So we all know the a lot of recent discussion about prominent figures who have committed suicide. Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain. There are many others. There was that basketball player, I believe, last week, right? Mm -hmm. right. Billy, Billy Knight, something came out yesterday. Yes, yes. Oh, it was it was yesterday. I feel like it was like last week. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, what are some signs and symptoms that people like people not mental health professionals, like just regular people, that what are some of the signs and symptoms that they can look for if they have concerns about someone with regard to their mental health? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so part of it too is is um you know recognizing so there's there's behavior patterns we have to look at are we sleeping more are we isolating are we um um being more aggressive um are we avoiding certain things are we um eating more you know are we not sleeping um so looking at behavior patterns right and if we're noticing there's a lot we're doing a lot of that can that potentially be something so again there's a lot of different diagnoses so with every diagnose there's symptoms that we have to pay attention to right but um so you know let's say there is a baseline of how we know someone or how we know ourselves and we're noticing you know what i typically would sleep fine but now i notice that i'm not sleeping or i'm sleeping too much if we're noticing changes in our behavior patterns then that's something to take and in, take into um, account because then the next question is well what's going on for there to be changes right um so so noticing those things behavior patterns then we also have to notice emotional patterns you know is there a change in turn in terms of our emotions so natalie what are some ways that people can get resources to get help for someone that they may be concerned about yes um you know there's lots of lots of ways out there and so one of the things that I find really, really um, great is EAPs, which are Employee Assistance Programs. A lot of jobs offers EAP programs to their employees. And so um, I have a client who I've been seeing for like five years, and most of that five years is through her EAP program. So she would, um, she's, she's given like eight sessions, eight free sessions, and she would, you know, we would meet every two weeks. And then um, once those eight free sessions, stop she you know we we go and we wait six months and then she would start back up again um ask for approval again and she would get approved and so um she's used her her therapy utilizing her eap employee assistance program so a lot of jobs do offer that so that's one thing that i do recommend um and so i've had clients who you know what um i'm gonna see if my jobs offers it because the copay is too much and i'm like sure you know, because my my mission, and I hear that's that that doesn't happen often, um, because I hear of anyway all type of stories from clients. But I believe in people getting the help that they need. So I am in a business, so I do want to get paid, and I do want to make sure that I'm sustainable in my business. However, um, people need help, and we have to be able to um, provide the the services, the support for them, and so. I take most insurances, I take EAP, um, and so if I'm not in part of their EAP program, I do sign up for it if, if I need to for the client. Um, I take a lot of insurances, most insurances. Um, I have a few clients per year that I do on a pro bono basis. Um, there's a few clients I also do on a sliding scale basis. Um, some people have insurance, but their deductible is, is a lot. Um, and so, again, I tell people, um, money should not be a barrier, at least for me. Money shouldn't be a barrier. Let's figure out what we can do. Um, and so, so I do believe in that. Um, so there's, there's lots of programs out there. There's programs who do offer pro bono services, who do offer sliding scale services, and it's just a, a matter of finding that. And, you know, um, calling your insurance companies and saying, okay, do, do they have mental health um, um, 
mental health providers through their insurance and definitely utilizing the insurance because you do pay money um, for it. So definitely utilizing that. Um, so. So even for people that don't have health insurance, you find that there's there might be like therapists that offer sliding scale or pro bono or maybe even some clinics that could get them some. Sure. Yeah, there's got to be some out there. I mean, I do it. Um, but then there's got to be others out there who, who does it as well. And um, like in the state, one of the other programs that I take um, is the, it's called the Georgia Victim Advocacy Program. And so individuals who have, who are victims of a crime, um, they could get services from the Georgia Advocates um, Cer um, Center where um, they provide the, the, the funding for them to receive mental health services because they don't have insurance or whatever. So, um, yeah, so there's there's programs out there and people just need to take advantage of those programs and hopefully um, providers accept those programs. Um, so even though it is slow, you know, you gotta submit and you gotta do a little bit of paperwork, but again, the ultimate goal is making sure people have access to services. I do believe in that, so. Well, I'll definitely be sure to include some of these resources in the show notes for sure, like the EAPs, looking into your insurances, and maybe some local clinics. I think that's a great idea. Definitely. Yeah, local definitely. clinics, yeah. And then if they're a victim of a crime, if see if there's any um, victims um, advocacy programs around. Um, so, yeah. You know, keywords, sliding scale, pro bono services. So, yeah. And just to wrap it up, so what are some misguided notions that people have with regard to mental illness and how do you think we can bring awareness to this misinformation? Well, some misguided notion is people with mental illness is, um, is different than us, is crazy. Um, people with mental illness or mental health issues um, are weak. That's a big one because oftentimes most clients who come sit in my office, no matter what their issue is, why am I feeling this way? I must be weak. Something must be wrong with me. Um, but the interesting thing about that, and I tell people, and um, Brene Brown, she does great research, and I recommend um, people looking into her research, is most of the time, the people we're thinking has it all together. They got just as much of um, um, stuff going on as we do. You know, so people just um, hide behind it, you know, because we don't want to be judged. We don't want to appear vulnerable, but everybody, because nobody's perfect, everybody has their stuff. Um, we just all have different ways of handling our stuff. And so many times I try to let people know, don't worry, the person you're trying to hide your stuff from got just as much stuff as you do. So it's okay. <laughs> um, and really let helping them know that. Um, because we all have our things, and it's just figuring out how do we be our best self despite that. Um, and be the best version of ourselves. And part of it is to be able to speak up and seek help, um, seek support in order to do that. Um, so, so that would be how I would um, definitely uh, um, dispel those myths that everybody got their stuff. You know, so it's a misguided notion to think, you know what, there's there's perfect people out there who has no issues that does not exist. And what I appreciate about what you constantly say just brings me back to empowerment. So empowering people and just knowing that it's okay to feel this way. It's not out of the ordinary. 
No, you're not crazy. Bringing it back to basics as far as taking care of your health, your physical health, and all these things that you're saying is just very powerful. Well, it's about validating. Many times, too, individuals who also experience um, significant mental health, a lot of their their thoughts, their feelings have not been validated, which is why they keep it silent. Because who's going to listen to me? They're not going to take me seriously. Or they're going to think I'm this. So they're already feeling invalidated, you know? And so a lot of my job is to validate people's feelings, no matter what it is, because it's your feeling. You can feel per however way you want to feel, and that is fine. But then my next question will, is always, the now what? What do we do about it? What do we do about this? You know? Um, so Natalie, what are you currently working on and how can our listeners get in contact with you? Yeah, so one of the things that I'm looking forward to on, um, so this is in Atlanta, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. On Saturday, July 21st, I have this um, TV recording thing that I'm doing. It's a workshop. Um, I'm partnering with um, Hype Media Global on this um, event called Discover a New You Atlanta. And my particular workshop is called How Does Mental Health Affect You? And so again, I'm all about the basic education. Whoever's willing to listen, I am willing to give you the information. How does mental health affect you? Because it does. And so helping people really see the connection, how mental health is in everything that we do. Um, and again, it's about becoming self-aware. Um, and it's about um, being educated as to um, how various events, how, um, again, being aware of our biology, our genetics, as well as our environmental stuff, how these things do impact our behavior patterns, our thinking patterns, our emotional patterns, and all that is what constitutes our mental health. Um, and again, when we continue to ignore or dismiss these things, how that impacts our physical health. And again, everybody understands physical health. You know, I mean, stroke, diabetes, all those things are on the rise. Cancer's on the rise. And there's lots of research to show, you know, how we eating, how we taking care of ourselves, how we manage our lifestyle um, does impact that. And so, um, so it's important to provide that education. So on July 21st, on Saturday, July 21st at 10 a.m., I'll be providing a workshop on that. How does mental health affect you? And I'll be talking about all those different um, components. I hope it's recorded. It will be recorded. It's TV. It's okay. going to be TV recorded as well as radio okay. recorded. So I am excited about that. Um, so that's yes, awesome. so I'm excited about awesome. that. So that's one of the things that I'm working on as well as um, ongoing workshops. I'm trying to do a course online. Um, so I'm putting it together, a course online. So um, again, making sure that people have um, accessibility to um to this information so however i could do that i, I want to definitely do, definitely do that and how can our listeners connect with you yes so um i'm on all social medias or most social medias so under esteem counseling services so my instagram is esteem counseling services my facebook page is esteem counseling services i'm also on twitter esteem counseling services I do have a website that people could look into, um, and it has all my services, how to sign up for workshops, and all those in there. And that's www.esteemcounselingservices.com. Esteem is E-S-T-E-E-M, and which is 
empower self through education, enrichment, and motivation. So that's fabulous. I'm going to include this in the show notes for sure so our listeners can have access to it. And you did not mention your infamous talk with the therapist. Oh, yes. Yes, my, <laughs> my uh, live on Wednesdays. I love it. Yeah, so last night I did it. So we last night was about anger. So built up anger and how, um, again, anger is a normal and healthy emotion. Uh, however, when it's gone unresolved and it's prolonged, how it could lead to other things in terms of physical issues as well as mental health issues and how it impacts our relationships. It impacts how we deal with conflicts and, and all that stuff. And so so it was just a brief information about anger. So every Wednesday. So every Wednesday, live, Instagram live, every Wednesday at 8 p.m. And I just do pick a topic and I just give some basic information about the topic with a definition, some myths about that topic. Um, some treatment modalities that's used to, to handle that topic and those type of things. So every Wednesday on Instagram at 8 p.m. is Ask the Therapist. Okay, and can our listeners interact with you while you're yes, talking? Yes, definitely. Interact with me while I'm talking. Um, DM me to ask me questions about whatever topics that they're interested in or if, if there's a particular topic that I'm um, talking about, you know, asking me any questions about that topic. So yes, I'm, I'm all for engagement and um, people um, asking me questions and, and seeking help, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. I enjoyed this episode so much. We have been talking about this for months. <laughs> yes, thank you so, so much. You're welcome. And despite our technical issues and difficulties, mostly on my end, um, thank you so much for your patience and for being with me. <laughs> oh, no problem. no problem. Before I let you go, I just want to note that Natalie hosts her Ask the Live Therapist every Wednesday now at noon. So she has this segment every Wednesday at 12 noon available on Instagram. And I'll be sure to leave all of her information in the show notes as well as all the information that was discussed in the episode. If you found this episode to be valuable and insightful, please let me know on my latest Instagram. You can also send me a message on Twitter. And once again, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the Misguided Notions podcast.